friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I see you over there, Sparkle Fingers, I like that. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my dazzling showman of a co-host, Alex Dandino. <sighs> yeah, we're back. The pod is still questioning reality. Especially now, I see Alex is so jazzed up, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I am a coffee. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm a consummate showman, damn it. <laughs> Whatever happens in the world around me, the show will go on. Oh, see, see, see. No, all right. So we're here questioning reality today. Uh, this is one of the movies that was on our list when we first decided we wanted to do a movie podcast. Uh, this was in the top ten movies that we're like, we have to cover. Today... Uh, we are finding out, we're awakening ourselves in Dark City. <sighs> Alex, this is, I know for both of us, this is one of our favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Here's something I didn't know. Roger Ebert claimed this was the best movie of 1998, period. Loved it so much, he did a commentary track uh, that you can find along with some releases of the movie. No that shit. actually stunned me. Wow. Uh, but I agree. I totally agree. Alex, Dark City, hit me up. Uh, uh, opening Gambit thoughts on uh, this often forgotten classic movie. I I love this movie. It's actually a movie. I had seen it a long time. I had seen it a long time ago, like when I was probably in middle school or like high school. Sorry, not middle school. It was mm -hmm. 1998. Um, I was almost in high school, I think. I saw it around eighth or ninth grade. Um but the other thing, uh, I rediscovered this movie when I was in college. I took, uh, mm -hmm. at, when I was in San Diego, I took a class about film noir. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Dark City fits within the confines of the ideas of a neo-noir film. So uh, we watched it in my class, and I sort of rediscovered it and re-realized -re -re this movie is, A, fucking amazing, but also marks a really important moment in filmmaking history because this was this movie came out in 1998 a full year before the matrix and it along with probably like i think three other movies that i would include in this list are movies that are sort of sacrificed to the like monolith that is the matrix um i'd yeah. say like dark city equilibrium which isn't as good but these movies that sort of had a similar style and had a similar uh, questioning of our questioning of our reality, questioning of our uh, morals, moral values, so on and so forth, um, that had to exist for the Matrix to come about. Um, Dark City is so well nuanced and so fascinating. Um, I have only seen the theatrical cut. There is a director's cut that exists that Alex Proyas put back together. I uh, own I've, the director's cut. Yeah, I've only seen the theatrical cut. I've never seen the director's cut. Um, that's what we'll be discussing today so it's fine but uh again it's such a fascinating movie because there are there are these um the tenets of noir are so fascinating work so well within the movie within the confines of actually like what this story is which is kind of a little bit of a chase a little bit of a whodunit and then hard left turns into uh pretty pretty dope sci-fi like again i it, I, it is strange that it, it is a it's great amazing. the opening of the movie is an amazing jigsaw whodunit right so every yeah. scene we have a character who is us he's the avatar for us right he wakes up right. in a world and has no fucking clue what's happening right right after we've seen a scene where the entire world goes to sleep we're like what the fuck yeah. he wakes up the same as us has no idea and slowly everything he finds is a direct clue and link to the next thing and the movie does this brilliantly yeah right and about and then all of a sudden, you know, we find our shoes. We find a dead body covered in spirals. And you're like, oh, fuck. And then these uh, four Nosferatus show up. You're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And th this is how the movie paces for a long time. And then about two-thirds of the way through, they're like, no more whodunit. Fuck that. We did it. We know. Because <laughs> it, it is one of those. It just changes really dramatically. Once we're like, what about all the hooker murders? Like, I'm really fascinated <laughs> by that. Fuck that. Now we're going to expose all of the secrets. <laughs> yeah. I, it's such a fascinating, like, the movie itself is so interesting. There's so much There's so much yeah. going on to begin with. Like, there's so much going on because, uh, I actually, I read this. It's interesting trivia. This actually has the, um, this has the lowest frames per second of any movie, apparently. Most of the movies I read that on it too that it, it has a cut essentially every two seconds. Yeah, which, of the movie, 
which I didn't Isn't that realize. Fucking absurd. It's insane, and I didn't realize that. And I like, I rewatched it again after I read the tri- some of the trivia, and I realized like, it adds so much to the like noirness of it all, like the frenetic pace of not knowing where you are. Like that is like sort of the. Um, that's sort of the uh, genius of Alex Proyas. Like I was, I was telling you before the show. Like there's another, there's an alternate history, an alternate universe of this world where Alex Proyas is like this prolific filmmaker who we all worship at the altar of because this is a guy who made The Crow and he's made this movie, but like he's largely been sort of a he's a pretty low key director. Like the last movie you would have seen that he made is this movie called Gods of Egypt, which was absolutely terrible, oh, but. He and also knowing. made these movies. He's a very fascinating director, and he's a very fascinating guy uh, to follow, particularly the stories he's chosen. So, like, this is a guy who, like, for years tried to get um, a version of Paradise by John Milton turned into a movie. Yeah. Never happened. Like, it was the budget was so blown up that people were never able to figure it out. Like, <laughs> but that's the kind of like level that he was working on. He was trying to make a fucking movie adaptation of a John Milton novel. Like, that's pretty impressive. But I'm so, sure it would have been insane, though. But that, that's what yeah. I, imagine this, though. I was blown away when I read that trivia, too, about the cut every two seconds, because this movie feels very plotting and methodical to me. Totally. If you had told me that, I'd been like, fuck off. And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, like the reality is shifting constant. Every cut in a film is a slight micro fracture in our believing of the reality. Right. Right. Because every time you change my lens like that. And we don't think it because we're so trained by now, but it's disrupting the reality of what you're trying to buy into. So for them to add that layer and constantly still feel like we're just sitting in these streets, like I didn't feel a frenetic pace at all. It's a really clever trick that they add that adds to the subtext of the movie. I wouldn't. Yeah, I guess like the description I would use, like it's not necessarily frenetic. What it is, is it is disjointed because we're the audience along with Rufus Sewell, who, by the way, this might be the only movie he's the hero of every other movie. Rufus Sewell (laughs) is a bad guy. He's the Um, hero who may have killed six hookers. So it's pretty close. (laughs) It's still on brand. Yeah, it's still on brand for Rufus Sewell, but he definitely is the hero. I will say this at the the end of the movie when he gets his God powers. I'm like, I would imagine there's going to be a couple more dead hookers. This guy doesn't seem like he's going to just take to the Jesus uh, narrative well. No, no, no. This is not that, <laughs> this is not that guy. That's why he's cast so he's well like, that's as a why Nazi I made the in ocean. The Man in the High Castle. Yeah. I made an ocean because it's a better place to throw dead hookers. <laughs> yeah. Rufus Hill, who's probably best known as like the bad guy in A Knight's Tale, like, he's known for being a bad guy actor. <laughs> like This might be the only movie he's the good guy in, and I think it was the last one, too. Um, yeah. Absolutely wonderful, though. But again, like... Yeah. The quick cuts and it's something I didn't notice before, but yeah, like it's supposed to sort of disjoint us and really put us in the head of this character of Murdoch, who's our main guy. Um, yeah, it's such a fascinating thing. Like it's a, it's. A, I don't know if it's deliberate. I don't know if Alex Proyas. I mean, I'm assuming it's Alex Proyas. That's probably exactly what it was for. Of um, course, it was deliberate, man. What I like re- about this movie really too is, it's. I love the world that they built, right? Because. What I like about this movie is that the strange and absurdness of it, right? Like, one, it's visually such a beautiful world, even in its kind of dark, wet mossiness. Yeah. It's just really, it's very visually arresting and beautiful to me. Right. But I like the nature of how much we'll just accept just to keep going on, right? Like, one of the great scenes early is we see the uh, the hotel manager gets murdered. Right. Because he walks in on the Nosferatu brothers. <laughs> They just replace him with this because he's a white guy. They replace him with a black guy who speaks exactly the same as him. Yeah. And just keep going about. Right. And the way that there could be these monumental shifts happening around us all the time. We'll just be like, dude, I just want to get home. I just want to get <laughs> home and watch the game. Like, come on. Right. But, you know, just little things like no one's seen the sun. Uh, people are constantly not worried about their past. I mean, it really is interesting. Cause I remember reading that. Uh, there's a lot of different interpretations, right, of what this place is and how these people got here. Right. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland lays it out that they're kind of a parasitic alien race that finds what they think they want in us. They're a dying race. Right. So Proyas, the director, he thinks that what happens is is that we were on a long-distance space journey. Yeah. And that these people essentially hijacked the ship, and now they're, you know, using us as they will in the midst of space, right? Whereas Goyer 
thinks that it's more of a they came to earth and this is kind of a purgatory you know uh place of the mind a theater of the mind more right i think proyas is much cooler right i think the theater of the mind thing it's, isn't as interesting it's interesting that really you say cool that, to think that's about exactly how i felt yeah but the pirate in space thing is really cool too because so all the nosferatu bodies we see those were people that were on this crew right right inhabited by these little fucking tendril light things and what we realize is that they have a finite amount of us to experiment with. Because one of the things I was laughing at in the movie, I was like, okay, so this is one city. We know that. There's a limited amount of population, and they're getting real willy-nilly with the murders. Right? <laughs> so I was like, we got to slow the fuck down on these murders if we're going to solve this case. But I like that it adds the desperation of this kind of weak parasitic race right. that could lead them to these mistakes. Right. So we find out that they are the ones who have set uh, Murdoch on this path, right? right. They want to see how a human will react to waking up as a hooker murderer. <laughs> Little did they know, Rufus is like, oh, bro, this is my headspace. This is where I live. <laughs> so, And they give him the saves the fish moment, right, to, to pass it right. out. But this is all an experiment for them, right? And so the fact that when it comes time to track him down, that they're like, we're having trouble. It shows you how sloppy they're getting because you wrote right. the entire story. You know, beat by beat where he's going to go. Right. It's interesting. Uh, yeah. And like you realize early on, too, that like Murdoch has these like um, Murdoch is sort of a as he's like going through and trying to figure out why he's the suspect of a murderer. Obviously, he's Rufus Sewell. So, of course, he murdered somebody. But um, as he's going through, he's like starting to kind of encounter these other memories like that Shell Beach thing. Like the Shell Beach thing is a really important aspect of the memory, the cost of memories, I would, I would call in this movie. Um, but ultimately, yeah, like I think Goyer has, it's interesting because like, this is how I've always described, like when Goyer, uh, was the writer on Batman begins. And the further you go into the Batman movies, you realize that the Nolans are sort of this like head spacey. They want to make a psychological thriller. And David Goyer is the Hollywood writer who's trying to bring him back down to earth. It's interesting to hear Proyas and Goyer describe these two, like what they think the uh, the strangers are, because ultimately Proyas is a very Proyas is the one that I like because it's very um, metaphysical. It's a little more di it's a little different and also a little more grounded in sci-fi. I think the, the version of sci-fi that I like, whereas well, I think it's Goyer's is so metaphysical that none of it matters to me. Right? We talk about this right. a lot this month. Is if it's all just purgatory for souls. Right. It just like what's the point? Right. right. Goyer's is Goyer's is uh what I would call like concrete storytelling. Like what he's doing is he's basing it completely like it's the same problem I have with like watching Lost. Like I don't want to watch a show about a bunch of people that are just gonna die. They're 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 just stuck somewhere. Like I don't care. Yeah. Like and then you find out it's just oh, you know, we just I don't know, we we lived and died. But like the thing that I love about Proya's explanation is yes, like the questioning the questioning of reality the questioning of reality is inherent to the concept that he's trying to put forward in dark city itself rather than it just being purgatory right. it's literally about the existence we're all trying to attain well proyas works too on another level because even at the end of the movie right we see this is one space vessel that has this kind of engine that can make it whatever we want which is right. is cool sci-fi stuff this, even once the strangers are tossed off, right? We revolt and we're free. Right. This is still going to be a dark city. There's yeah. no happy end in sight. The fact that they are just on this lonely space journey through nowhere, there's not a happy ending where all of a sudden the whole world becomes Shell Beach, right? Like now we're in the Truman Show Island where it's all great and glorious. and Right, right. This is still dark. Like at the end of this movie, I don't know that anything's going to be better. Well, like, no, we like, won't be experimented on, but this is this is where the reality questioning comes in, right? Again, this is the great question. Is it better to live in a fantasy world where it might be okay for you or a real world? Once they're not experimenting on us, now everyone on that ship must confront the realities of what has happened and the bleak hopelessness right. of their future. So it's I mean, a dark city no matter how this movie ends. It's I like the I like the space pirate angle way better. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, do. like, I just think it's way better. Well, again, like, it's something we talked about with Total Recall too, which is like, 
the thing that I love about this we month should partic- add, before we move on, I think we should have a complete moratorium on this story is purgatory forever. Like enough. Yeah, it's terrible. No more of that shit ever. Yeah. We're, we're done with that. <laughs> Um, the thing though is something we talked about with Total Recall as well, and the thing that I like about this month of movies particularly, but Dark City does so well more than anything is after just like you were talking about, like after the movie ends, like grappling with the reality of what's happened. Like if like in the space pirate scenario, which is the scenario by the way. Um Yes. In the space pirate scenario I agree grappling with the fact like you think about that ending like they're at the pier and um he introduces himself and she's like a totally different jennifer connelly is a totally different person you know there's a woman named anna instead of emma um so she's a different person she has new memories they have to move on and live their life but murdoch has to deal with the fact that she used to be someone else entirely like there is so much that has to be you think he's just gonna let her go now that he's the jesus oh no not a chance he's gonna let her go I mean, I think that's like the I think that's the interesting thing, too, is like you realize. So Murdoch now is the only one left with those powers. So he'll have to okay, create now Mur- this. This we have to pause on. Right. So he ends. He now has the power that all the strangers who were a hive mind organism. Right. Have for some reason he had it. Well, he had it in the beginning. I too. think this is the fun extra layer. Yeah. It's like, how did he get them? Right. But the fun extra layer is. We. We as an audience have to sit there and grapple with, is there anyone who can be given that amount of power to control other people's realities that can ever be just and good for how long? How long until he breaks? Now the whole world is his plaything. He is exactly what he destroyed. I think this is a... I think think that's that's, a fun extra reality. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Even without the God power, are we all not somehow constantly assaulting and disrupting other people's realities i I think that's what i mean a lot of those fun layers well that's what i'm talking about like when it comes to this movie and how it functions like again like total recall you think about the after and all that stuff this is a cyclical thing like this is gonna happen again like you were saying it's a dark city like it's going to happen again because there's no way that absolute power does not corrupt so Murdoch being the only person who can change the reality, so to speak, within their confines, there's no way that he doesn't make other little people like him and they all end up being strangers in the end. And this whole thing starts over with someone with someone else waking up in a bathtub covered in blood. Like he's just like, I need another hooker to murder. I'm sorry. Yeah. Your sacrifice. <laughs> this <laughs> well, is Rufus. The fun thing too. imagine this. This is where the, the movie has even another layer of theater of the mind. He might be the God character here, and now everyone in the Dark City is his plaything. We see the wall. We see the wall between him and the outer space. Right. Outside of that wall, he's jack shit. Right. And has no control over reality. Right. Do any of us ever have control over reality? No. Right? So he's a god in his small little bubble. Right. Out there, he still must confront whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, all the strangers got fucking floated out from uh, beyond the um, beyond the orb and just yeah. got killed in space. So, And even the strangers made their perfect little terrarium mm-hmm. and eventually were murdered by it, right? Right. They had no control over reality. Yeah, there's no way that going beyond this, there's no way this doesn't happen again. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. Like, this is a dark city. It doesn't change. Like, just because the light's out now doesn't mean that, you know, all of a sudden everyone will be happy. Like, now we all have to confront Also, imagine a city like this. You turn the lights on, you're going to see everything now. (laughs) (laughs) First off. It's kind of like we. I used to live in Hollywood, like three blocks down from the Chinese theater. Hollywood in the daytime, gross. (laughs) When it's at nights and you're looking up and seeing all the neons and the flashing lights, cool. Hollywood daytime, gross. Not only that, but everything's <laughs> not only that, but it's also one of these. It's like constantly raining, so everything's gonna dry out, and everyone's gonna have to smell that smell. Oh god. Oh, the smells. Like the smells. Dry, yeah. Like again, been in Hollywood during the day. It's Tuesday, smells. another strong waft of dead hookah smell. <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Murdoch is at it again. <laughs> We must sacrifice. He saved a fish. He couldn't have killed hookers. I was like, I bet if I did enough research, a lot of serial killers have pets. Come on now. I (laughs) mean, bad detective work. It's um, (laughs) but yeah, ultimately, I mean, yeah, the the like the concept of going beyond just the like two hours we watch this movie. 
is so incredible. Like the story you have to like really think about. And I love that about this movie is I'm constantly wondering like, well, what about this? Like, it's not a plot hole. Like that's the thing that I love the most about these kinds of movies. Like when you do uh, questioning reality movies correctly and, or like, I guess correctly in my estimation, but in a way that doesn't like force you to f- force you to confront like the reality itself, but more question it just like the character is like, I don't care about I don't care if well, I'm right or questioning wrong. Questioning the 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 value of reality. Exactly. Like I don't I, I don't care a, about a if I'm right. Or, think of it. I think the important thing again, like Dark City does the same thing Total Recall does, which is I don't care that it's right or I don't care that it's the right reality, the wrong reality, whatever it is. What I care about is how this continues beyond this two hour limit I have of storytelling. Like right. that's the thing I love the most about this movie is that I'm thinking about it days after i'm done years after i'm done watching yeah. it and now we get oh, to talk yeah. about this it. one sits with you a lot here's yeah. an interesting point i would like to get to um i love the bad guys in this movie man i love the strangers right yeah. so the strangers essentially are a hive mind that all share the exact same data right and there's no individuality there now this is the extra creepy part their first step of individuality was choosing which corpse they would inhabit yeah. that's fucked up that's right. That's up. a nice extra layer that kind of gets brushed over and like, look at this Tom Hardy from Nemesis convention. It's just, oh, dude, these guys are picking corpse suits to try to like it's like their equivalent of like what band shirt to wear, which is yeah. fucked up. What I, I like about this, though, is that this race is dying and they can't quite they think what they need is individuality. Right. Right. So they gather us and they use us as experiments to try to solve the thing they need. Right. Which they think is our human soul. Right. So they keep Kiefer Sutherland because they can't comprehend individuality enough. They need an artist, right? A memory artist, as he's called. Right. Who eventually betrays them, as humans are like to do. Also, a really cool sub thing they do is with uh, Richard O'Brien's character, right? Riff Raff. When he injects himself with human memory so that he can help on the hunts as they're getting more and more afraid. And all of a sudden, we see him. He gets a little Rufus. He starts shanking hookers. Right. And we watch him at the end. His. So what we're asking ourselves in that scene is when he gets a little of us humans, he becomes more vile and evil, but is more vibrant, I would say, than the others. So this examination of a culture that seemingly is kind of ideal, right? Everyone working together towards a common goal as villainous while watching this, you know, hooker murderer. Is the ideal like there's a lot of really heavy shit going on with the strangers, right? They are right. more than just the Tom Hardy convention. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that ultimately help me yeah. unpack this. There's so much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, when you look at Mr. Yeah, Richard O'Brien, yeah, Mr. Hand uh, is the character's name. Like, that's the thing that I think is most interesting is like we find out from uh, we find out from Kiefer Sutherland's character, like the reason these extraterrestrial, the reason the aliens are kind of keeping us around and doing all these things and changing is. Like you were saying earlier, the idea is like basically experimenting with individuality and uh, like they might be able to like help. Like basically they're trying to figure out what makes individualism so important to a race that allows them to prosper, allows them to survive. Um, Yeah. But I think that's what's interesting is Mr. Hand starts doing these things that are, you know, relatively not part of the common good, the common core of what the strangers need to be. So. By him doing that, he's yeah, almost... Yeah, when he kills that hooker, there's no value to the greater cause. Right. In so fact, to it's me, a detriment because now they've lost a body. Right. I mean, to me, what it is is like, it's almost like confronting what human nature is and seeing it as a poison rather than a cure. Like, that's what's interesting to me is like describing... <laughs> like when Kiefer Sutherland's describing why they want to keep stay, us... Stay on that for a second, right? Because you said human nature is a poison... That's all they're trying to attain, right? So it it is this. <laughs> I don't know how to balance their mission, right? They they right. need the human condition, but the human condition ultimately just leads to death and carnage. It feels like, right? So I mean, like what like the experiment of trying to figure out what makes individuality special or individuality important to humans, like what allow? I'm assuming it has to be because it's about survival. Like at the at the core of yeah. every every carbon based life form. The core value is survival. We all want to survive. We want to live our best life. We want to live our longest life. But before that, we want to survive our lives. So, like, 
what about what about becoming individualistic makes somebody what about becoming individual individualistic makes the survival instinct that stronger like a hive mind should be all survival instinct right well here's the here's like, the interesting thing i think this is kind of what i i was thinking about during this movie is all right so they all live in an underground cold dank uh billy corgan convention and that's it. That's all they do. What is their value, right? Their value is experimenting on us, but we don't even get that they are loving that, right? right. Whereas someone like when Murdoch wakes up, his vibrance and instinct to survive and run around and solve, maybe that what it is is survival isn't the point. It's finding meaning, right? What is the uh, value of the reality? You're saying valuing so think, the survival. Well, I think what it is is it's it's confronting the fact that if you just live forever as part of this big thing, what's the point, right? And sure. Mr. Hand gets a moment of that where he seems happy right. in a creepy, disgusting way, right? Whereas no one else seems to have a good time from the uh, the Billy Corgan Ava Adora convention. <laughs> so I don't under – that's what I'm – I think that's what they're missing. Because I love the line at the end when Mr. Hand finds me. He's like, I'm dying. Right. Because yeah. he's a part of the people. But he was like um, he experienced what it was like. And Murdoch's like, no, you experienced a version of me that you guys created. You never experienced me. You went looking in the wrong place. Right. That right. You can paint and write whatever realities you want that think you fit whatever this is. There's not that innate reason to keep going. There's not that fire for life. Right. Right. Like you can just keep it going. You can keep someone alive on a, you know, machine for how long when their body is given out. There's not a lot of value in that versus uh, Murdoch, who has something to fight against, to live against, to conquer. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's what the movie's getting at on some level. It's just I don't know. It's a I think the detectives actually a key too, right, because he says the same thing. There's no way out which I think is how the strangers feel. There's no way out of this dark city they've made. Right. But for them, not for us humans, right? There is a way out for us. We get killed. Right. We I can mean, die, like, right? So he die Once he confronts the fact of living like them or as one of their experiments, he's like, fuck it, I'm out. And I think that's the thing is that maybe there's no way out for the strangers. That they've just built themselves this cage and they think it's our cage, but it's theirs. Interesting. I well like it's I, I was I was reading a little more after I watched the movie and um there is like this analysis out there talking about Dark City being an interpretation for the cave allegory, for instance. And like now, I this like, is the you only see things in the shadows and that's what you think's real. Right. Right. And then you're released and you go outside the cave and you see the real world and you're like, This isn't real. This is right. different than my shadows. That that allegory? Yeah, so I think what's interesting, though, so I was thinking about that, though, and, like, in the analysis that is um, available, um, the guy who came up with this, came up with the concept says that um, the city dwellers are the prisoners who don't know they're in prison, so to speak. Right. Sure. I actually would say, I would actually dismiss that a little bit, and I'd say, I feel like maybe the strangers are the ones that don't realize they're in prison. By being... Absolutely. Yeah, right? Like, by being so, by being experimental with, like, individualism and so on and so forth, all they're doing is robbing themselves of the ability, like, rob, like a hive mind is a hive, like, these guys all seem like a hive mind by choice. Like, just because you can communicate right. with someone, like, just because you can communicate with someone without speaking doesn't mean you necessarily have to agree with them all the time. So the question is, when Richard O'Brien, like, when Mr. Han does that, when he, when he decides to kill. And he decides to take an individualistic approach to his what would be considered methodical throughout the entirety of the film until that point. Why? Why is he why is he not taking the place of Murdoch and just icing all the rest of these dudes and saying, like, I'm going to be the god of this place from now on? Like that, I think, is probably like well, he doesn't he doesn't have that. I don't even think Murdoch wants that, right? He just no, wants he to doesn't. take control of his own personal reality. Right, it right. It is fun to watch Mr. Hand grapple with the, I feel most alive by taking a life. Right. Right? But I, I think you're on to something where the value of a prison to me is that people know that prison exists and it scares the shit out of us to act better. Right. Right? If you don't know you're in prison 
or you don't know that you're in a false reality, what's the because the people right who are like go from like uh, I'll smack my wife around to the fancy dinner party people, right? Is that not better than them waking up and being like, wait, we live on a fucking ghost spaceship and that's it? Like, oh fuck, this sucks. Like, are they not happier and better? Is their reality not better than everyone else who is in this city? Right. I mean, like, I guess. Well, that's the other thing too. Is like at the end, like you think about the end of the movie, like. Murdoch's really the Murdoch and Kiefer Sutherland are the only ones who know what has happened, what has transpired to like cause the yeah. sun to come out, you know? So yeah, those two will never truly be happy. But like you look at Jennifer Connelly, who's now a different person. I mean, but they're Anna. all about to know. Do you assume that they don't all figure out when the movie ends? Like every citizen's going to be like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, I assume they, no, no, the, but this is what goes back to, this goes back to the other half of the cave allegory. The sun comes out like, they walk out, see the see the sun, and assume it's and just like taking it for what it is, taking it at face value. Like it's the comfort we talk about when it comes to the questioning reality movies. Is like again, it's the cipher, it's the cipher notion from the Matrix, which is ignorance is bliss. If you don't know, then you'll be okay. Like you can live with the fact, oh, the sun's out. Okay, I accept that as reality, rather than the sun's well, the out. Other why weird is thing the sun for out? Dark City is that. Yeah, well, all these people will be starting anew with the right. sunlight of this new day with the false backstory and character that's already been implanted in them. Right. right. So, but they are won't they be even free but, humans but, now. But of course they are, because then the, the, other con- the other conceit of that is every night these people change. Every night when the clock strikes but 12. not anymore. There's no more Not anymore. Whoever they are now is who they will be for the end of time till the end of their days. Right. But that starting point is false. Or they is it? They might not ever be able to get back those memories of the past because no one knew except the strangers. But is that starting point So they're false? already starting from an entirely false set of people. False for us. False for Murdoch. False for Kiefer Sutherland. False for the audience. Not false, false for, for them. False for them. Not false for them. False for them. They all started out probably as part of a space voyage crew. And now they're waking up and they're like, oh, we're fucking rich in our giant apartment. What's happening? So they're starting their lives from a character that was given to them. But that's their reality now. That's the truth of their reality. What's true is true now. We know that it's not reality. You know. I know. Murdoch and Murdoch and Murdoch and Schreiber. Poker murderer knows. (laughs) These are the people that know. The knowledge, though. The knowledge, though, that there weren't those people to begin with is lost, and that's their new reality. Revoking them of that is the true. Revoking them of that is what makes things dark. Giving people ignorance, ignorance being bliss, is the important thing about this. Those people are those people till the end of time. Just because they were somebody else before doesn't make them that person then. Well, what if there's like a homeless guy and he's like, "Wait, this is my backstory. I didn't choose this." This, <laughs> but he wouldn't know that. He'd, like, can I get a new keeper? But he wouldn't. Backstory? But he wouldn't know that. He wouldn't have the memory of not being a homeless guy. He'd probably have the memory of. But they know how cruel that is. Someone know, but I, that's what I'm saying. You have to ask yourself with this movie: is is there a baseline to reality? Period. But, right? like, I mean, can re- we ever say this is the real thing and this is false? Or do we ever fucking? Does it even matter? That's exactly right? what I'm and saying. That's why I think the strangers that's are the exactly one. Exactly what cage I'm saying with the people because they spend the end of their time as a species trying to solve something that they'll never fucking solve, and that we can't solve because immediately Hooker, Murder, and Rufus becomes the new god, and all these fucking people are still waking up to a false reality and an entire life in their head that is not true. It's a false reality for you and for me, but not for them. It's their reality. It's the truest thing they have. But we know that it's false. They, they don't. might not know, but we know. Okay, if but what does that God matter to he us? Knows, right? The omnipotent God knows it's still there. But what does that matter to us? You are speaking as a hive mind, my friend. The truest form of individualism is not caring what your not caring what anybody else's past or present was. What cares is your individualistic past and present. What I'm saying is that I think they need their minds freed so they can start as a blank slate and make their own choices. Without that, it's not reality. They are making their own choices from that point on. Ignorance. Based on, but that's what I mean. What if me and you both wake up and all of a sudden we're on Gilligan's Island and I get to be the skipper and you're Gilligan and I'm smacking you around and all of a sudden they changed our minds. They, they're they like, put you back to a zero. Okay. Maybe in reality you're like, you know what? I want to do the smacking. 
I love our really timely reference too, by the way, for our yeah, wow. listeners. Digging deep, huh? Sherwood Schwartz, I'm sure he's well, proud. That, that was another story that people, that was like the first lost where like everyone on Gilligan's Island is dead. That's how like the Harlem Globetrotters and Martians showed up every week. <laughs> is this just a cooler version of Gilligan's Island? Oh, fuck. Okay, that is something to talk about right there. Very well could be. There you go. I mean, clearly go. we got Rufus Sewell. The darkest Sewell. city, dude. Coconut radios, come on. But Rufus Sewell is like definitely the skipper beating the shit out of Kiefer Sutherland's Gilligan for the rest of till the end of time. Well, I was going to say, there there are so little hookers to kill on Gilligan's Island, Rufus could never be a part of the cast. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly is not ginger, though, for sure. That's definitely Marianne. Yeah, man. I don't know. I, I love the amount of just space. <laughs> no pun intended because it's in outer space. It's just fucking insane, man. But I think that's the scene, right? You kind of touched on this, too, is Shell Beach. When they find Shell Beach and it's just a wall. Yeah. This is the ideal reality that they've been chasing to a better time, a perfect time, a time when they were themselves, or at least Rufus was. Right. And when they bust that wall down and it just opens up into this fucking vacuum and void of space, I think that's kind of everything. Oh, absolutely. That's the whole movie right that there. That is the movie right there. Like, it's yeah. – you. It's the it's the breakdown it's the breaking of the barrier of the reality you knew into the reality that is. Well, this but, is your argument for not waking up the citizens of Dark City is that even behind memory there might be nothing. So what does it matter if they have their old? The question memories is, are memories? you better off? Are you better off knowing? In that situation, like if you're on oh, a floating life raft with a See, bunch of you're aliens, the fucking hive mind, dude. I'm a I'm a righteous fighter for individualism. You're yeah. sitting here like, are you better knowing? Just plug in. How many it's times cool, have we man, had this conversation? Cypher was totally right in the Matrix to want to not have to be woken up because the real world sucks. I fucking agree. I agree with that. But what I'm saying is, me as a human man now, I want to fight the coming tide. If I even can. Who knows? Maybe the fight's already over. What's what real? coming tide? <laughs> fucking hooker killing Murdoch figured it out no, for us. No, the coming tide of you Dandinos trying to fucking plug us in in your little Lego set spaceship. I want to be free to murder hookers whenever I want. But I want to kill I'm talking, hookers because this is what I'm talking I want to Remember kill hookers. When we started the show, I said this, this movie is excellent because when you think about the expanse of the story, the circular motion of everything, there's no way Rufus right. Sewell doesn't, in another movie, become him and like a gang of people. Him and, like, him and like the people who are still around become the strangers and do this the same thing to other people. Because Rufus Sewell <laughs> saw the other side, hated it. And he's like, no, no one deserves that shit. And he, so he puts up the wall again he's and starts the whole thing over. He's going to do that again. He will inevitably get bored. He's oh. going to do that to Jennifer Conley. He's going to alter her reality to be his. He is the same thing. And right. I think that's what the detective realizes with all the circles everywhere. There is no fucking escaping the fact that it's all finite and we can't deal with that. And we can't deal with the fact that why we are here, why we have our time alive, what's the point of any of it if it just goes away, right? And that's what you're saying. That's your fucking pitch, you fucking roboton, is just plug in with me. I'll make your time as good as it can. It doesn't matter. No, my pitch is they're going to plug themselves back in. It's 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 This is human nature. We don't want yeah, to be like assume that we've been defeated by robot nature. That's what you're saying. No, it's human nature. We don't like you said it yourself. You don't like traveling. That's because it's easier to well, not I travel don't like traveling. I'm one human. I don't there's, like hooker murdering, but Rufus plenty, does. there's plenty of people in the world, though, who would agree with you. Like what it is, is nobody wants to be uncomfortable. So what we do is we confront the discomfort and go, do I really want this to be a part of my life? No, I am moving on. I'm going to go back to where I was. I'm going to go back to being a sheep. This is the interesting scene to examine this, right? When Rufus is like, I tested myself by going to the apartment with the hooker and I didn't do it. But then the hooker still ends up dead because Murdoch was in that room in the form of Mr. Hand. So just because Rufus didn't kill that hooker, he still killed that hooker. Yep, exactly. You know what I mean? If a tree falls in the woods and you don't see it, did it actually fall down? Are we way too dumb for this movie and this podcast? We're I don't know. way too dumb for this. <laughs> I don't even think I said that phrase right. Yeah, Either I don't way. even know what's happening anymore. But that's the whole point <laughs> of the movie. No. Uh, look, at the end of the day, like the important aspects of this story are about questioning reality, but particularly about questioning the, 
the value of reality the value of your reality yeah like that's the most important thing about this story and what makes it different from other movies that we're going to talk about this month is like the value of this reality is that people the value of the reality of murdoch the value of murdoch knowing the reality of what actually is happening is that valuable is that worthwhile personally i would ask more about the detective because he knows what's happening. This is another weird one. Like, why are you giving the human experiment subjects guns that can kill you? Right. Do you ever ask yourself, the strangers, like, really, you settled on switchblades? You guys don't have better guns to kill us when we fucking get unruly? Switchblades? Oh, switchblades. But no, but see, that's the thing. The detective confronts, oh, Shell Beach is a lie. I see space. He gets <laughs> up, kills a stranger, and then takes one with him to the void. Is that not maybe the most alive anyone is in the movie? That's the first time he's made a real choice that affects his reality. Man, it's so... Because even then, he's kind of just on the beat with them and the doctor, but you don't know that he buys in. In that moment, he buys in enough that he needs to kill a stranger to save Murdoch. Where's the value? Was he right or wrong to do that? Should he have gone back to sleep like Alex wants? I don't want it. I said that is what people will choose. <laughs> Again, this is I think people you I don't think people's choices are set, man. Again, this is the fascinating thing about this is the fascinating thing about this movie is again, it's one of these overlooked movies that's been sacrificed for the sake of the Matrix, which look, I love the Matrix like everybody else. I think the first one's brilliant, but I also know that the Matrix, the the first Matrix has this it has fairly simple philosophy to it. It's, I, I don't know about that. It's I not a bad one, thing. It's not a bad well, thing is what I'm saying. That's not a bad thing is, at all. It's more honed in because instead of a city that can be anything constantly changing, it is a set computer system with small changes within, right? Sure. But again, and like... Plus, that's the thing. We know there's a baseline reality outside of the Matrix, whereas this movie, there is no baseline anything ever. Right. Uh, it's, but what I think happens is this one gets a little bogged down by the... Yeah, nah, 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 nah. like the little brain waves that don't look very cool right the matrix came out and not only is it had the kind of fun philosophical depths of this movie but also the fucking unbelievable action sequences so it makes perfect sense to me why this movie was displaced by the matrix sure but i think this one i think it's a little i think i think we overlook the craft of how they unroll this never-ending abyss right of this movie which is where is the fucking bottom where's top is there a top or bottom who fucking right. knows man? i mean i think that's the thing is well like i was saying yeah the matrix presents this very prevents this very similarly but also does it in a much more structured manner like yes. there's the matrix and then the real world below it like yeah that is an understood that is an understood like tried and true tested concept of reality versus non-reality right. what this is is like you were saying the reality of the world of Dark City is pretty nebulous. It's weird because... Well, here, let me hit you with this because I really want to get your thoughts on this. You probably love this movie more than anyone else I know. Here's a question I had this time. How do this giant hive mind, right, of Billy Corgan's and Tom Hardy's not able to bind together to defeat Murdoch? Is there any part of you that wonders... If this entire fucking movie is the experiment on Murdoch, which is we are here. We give you this giant. Oh, nothing's real. We're the strangers. We're this giant blob entity that are all telepaths, but can't join together to beat one man who just got his powers. And if you are given the choice to reset society, what would you do? Wouldn't that be the exact question they'd want answered much more? Isn't that the bigger test of individuality than uh, what he does with dead hookers? I mean, again, this question much more easily was addressed in the Matrix, in the second Matrix movie. Right. <laughs> like, it's like you've got to karate your way out of this, bro. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Like, again, like the scene, like, Look, nobody likes The Matrix Reloaded. I personally don't. How dare you? I actually do like The Matrix Reloaded. I personally don't love The Matrix Reloaded, but the thing I love the most about it is definitely the scene with the architect. I'm not sure why, but I find it deeply Wrong, Monica Bellucci. No, I'm just what? <laughs> I said What'd wrong, say? Monica Bellucci. Well, Monica Bellucci is the best. She's but one I, of the I, best things that's I ever happened. I didn't say it was the best. I, think it was, I said it was the thing I loved. 
But I do love the scene with the, the architect because explain what you're talking about is literally the same notion. Because to me, like you can yeah. make the argument that actually Murdoch is uh, the anomaly and that this is something that's happened many times over, in fact. And so therefore has to happen in this cycle so that things can go back to the way they should be. Like a right. system gets so bogged down in its own. Uh, it's it's like when you're downloading stuff on your computer, if you download music, like your computer gets so bogged down with cookies and megabytes of all kinds of extra shit. You never, you never know what you're fully downloading. You might have a virus or two. You're downloading so much into your computer that it's slowed to a halt. The progress of your computer existing as an engine slows to the point where you can't do it. So what must you do? You have to purge the system, start anew. You have to wipe the hard drive. That, right. I think, is the value of what Murdoch does based on the way I feel about this movie, which is this is all a cyclical force going forward. This has already happened, so it's going right. to happen again. What I landed on is that I think this is Murdoch's experiment all the way through, and it is a false reality to watch how he will reset society because that is what the strangers must do. How do we reset our society to give us a chance? I don't know that we ever see the actual strangers, right? It is unusual that they have no concept of people betraying them, that they rely on switchblades, <laughs> that they can't defeat him, right? Right. That he gets to defeat them in this grandiose battle of the minds instead of all thousand of them just being like, boom, telekinesis. They can all throw one thing at him and he's dead. Right. I think this is all an experiment on what happens when you actually let him be in charge of society. This is the best test of his soul. Right? What does he do when he is in charge? I don't know. I, I think there's something there with his parallel to the actual strangers. Because that's the part of the movie that I find the most baffling is that in, and I had I've had someone in the past say, well, the strangers, of course, would be weak because they hide in the shadows. They're not fighting. They're not this battle race. Right. They're not used to doing scanner fights all the time. They're not warriors. Right. They're these scared old scientists. Right. And I was like, perhaps. But I do think that if you look at it from far enough away, like and this is the other cool thing, right? When the detective floats away. He's the only character in the whole movie that sees all of Dark City for what it really is, right? And gives us that window. I think perhaps this is all the experiment, that all of this is Murdoch's test, including and especially the end when he now has the powers. And I think when Mr. Hand finds his way to him to ask what it's about and this and that, I think this is the actual important uh, information gathering part of the entire experiment interesting but see like perhaps but i think that's interesting because what you're saying is that they're the only reality is that there is no reality the only reality is that it's murdoch's reality and he's been doing this forever right is that what i'm getting that's what it feels like what you're yeah, i mean some kind i think what it is is we're watching an entire experiment right right of the mind and that we assume that when he defeats them and takes over the city this is now murdoch or whoever he is his new reality has started because nothing's influencing him and I think the end of the movie seems so outlandish that it's more likely that he's still stuck within an experiment of some greater hand that we don't know or see, right? That there is no actual uh, Billy Corgan, Tom Hardy face to this thing. And I think we all relate to that, right? Reality sure. and life always feels like some bigger thing hitting us with the magnifying glass, right? The sun and the magnifying glass burning our asses. And we don't know what the fuck is. We're just trying to assert as much control as we can. And I think that's the cool part about the movie is it never stops to answer or settle. Like, I love when they're in the boat and, uh, you know, the detective is just asking all the questions we want. Like, where did we come from? Sorry, man, I don't know. They never stop to be like, we should just give you answers, right. ever. There's nothing simple or straightforward about it. While they do a brilliant job of laying out the noir uh kind of whodunit opening and by the end they're just like oh this is just a fucking mess now have fun sorting it all out and i did <laughs> <laughs> i had a great time doing that <laughs> uh it's just a i mean it, but this is like the point of the movie like to me that's the point of the movie right now like we're talking yeah. about this we're examining the philosophy and the very fabric of the reality of the story like right that's what makes it so much fun to watch and probably one of my favorite movies ever. But particularly right. from this genre, from this period of filmmaking exclusively, is that it's about these movies that are 
It's about questioning reality. It's about questioning the right. reality of your position. Like that is what makes this whole, but leading up to the matrix, that's what makes this whole time period of filmmaking so interesting because this right. movie is enveloped by the monolith of the matrix when right. this movie really informs quite a bit of like what that oddly enough, even the look of the matrix. So yeah, I don't know. It's, well, what I love again, it's, it's a movie where by the end, nothing we saw probably happened in right. a reality as we accept it, but it doesn't matter because the journey still has important stakes in our mind, right? Even yeah. if, because that, that's what I think we settled on, because I hate the end of, oh, it's all, you know, like 47 meters down has like a, oh, none of that just happened that you saw. We just needed an action scene here, so we bullshitted it. Right. What? The end of that fucking Twilight movie where they do an entire war between all the species we've been waiting for for movies when our wives drag us to the theater and they're like, oh, it's just a dream sequence. What? Is that our first this Twilight? Twilight all- is that our first Twilight reference in this movie? In the show? Oh, sh- on this show? I can't imagine so. That That is a real sore spot for me for a long time. But uh, but that's what I mean, right? I hate the none of this is real dream sequence stuff. But the movies we picked are so masterful in how they they roll out these questions of reality that the stakes still matter to us, the audience, after the movie ends. And that's how you do it right. And this movie probably does that better than any other of this kind of group that we've created. Definitely. I would agree. Guys! I hope you love Dark City as much as Alex and I did. I hope you really take time to sit down with it, watch it a lot, hit us up with your theories. Um, It's a really fun playground to play in, man. Um, Again, we'll be back with Black Swan next. We have uh, an October, every night around Elm Street, every Friday the 13th movie culminating in Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, Black Swan is next. I think I said that. We've got some movies in the theaters we're excited to go see. Uh, If you like the show, man, share it with your movie-loving friends. Rate, review, share to your socials. We do appreciate all the work you guys do for us, man. Thank you. Uh, For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Are you? Just some hooker murderer.